Hey guys, hope you're having a great day. Today I'm going to be talking with John Apino from Contract Diagnostics again. We recently had him on to dig into compensation and contracts and things to think about in regards to negotiating. And so John runs this company, Contract Diagnostics, who specializes in helping physicians to review contracts and also review compensation arrangements. So John has a pretty extensive knowledge and tons of experience around this specific subject. So today we're going to be talking about some of the potential non-compete changes that have been proposed. At this point, nothing's actually changed, but there's been some like proposals made and some talk around non-competes getting eliminated. And so John weighs in on his thoughts on how that will shake out. We also talk about how important some of the big features of a contract are in regards to your options if things don't work out. In particular, we talk about the non-compete or the non-solicitation agreements and restrictive covenants. Those are super important parts of your contract and they're kind of like the ways that employers will lock you down from being able to go to a different place. The second big part we talk about is tail insurance. That's another big aspect that can oftentimes get you locked down. And then the last part we hit on is some of the arrangements like bonus arrangements and in-training pay that oftentimes employers will throw out at you. But typically they come with some sort of lock-in provision as well. I personally tend to advocate for more flexibility and limiting the amount of lock-in. I've seen a lot of people get stuck in situations they don't really enjoy or have to leave a city because of something like that. So that's even more reason to really scrutinize these contracts on the front end and have like a company like John's to review that for you. So the end of the day, it's just about being aware of these things. A lot of times people go in, you know, you got a lot going on and you just kind of go in and, and just knock things out. But yeah, we'll jump into that conversation today and hope you enjoy it. It's always enjoyable for me to dig into this kind of thing. I know compensation, well, especially contracts, maybe you're not the most enjoyable thing to dig into. Like it's a legal contract. How enjoyable can that be? But I think the part about the compensation and the livelihood, like your job is a huge thing. And understanding this stuff, at least the basics, is super important and can ha will have a really big impact on your life. So we'll jump into our show and do that now. Welcome to Finance for Physicians, a show where we empower physicians like you to practice medicine the way you always dreamed you would. This podcast features doctors, physicians, and experts that share one main thing in common. We believe having control of our finances leads to having control of our lives. In a world where doctors' lives are often dictated by our needs to maximize income, pay back massive student loans, and buy homes, many of us give up reaching those goals. But it doesn't have to be this way. If you are ready to learn how financial wellness creates happier doctors and patients, then I'm your guy. I'm your host and financial expert, Daniel Wren. Let's get started. John, what's up, buddy? Hey, man. Always good to see you. Yeah, man. I see you've gotten all fixed up and seems like you got lots more movement now and all that physical therapy and work has yes. paid off, right? 
Yes, my nine screws and however many centimeter plate in my right collarbone is, it's, I don't think it's necessary. I think they can take it out here soon, but I'm all healed and uh, mm -hmm. exceeded the physician's expectations. So it just goes to, nice. to show you what a great physician, a team, and then a proper plan, as you know, all kind of about planning, right? About what a good plan can do for accomplishing your goal. Can you feel the weather now with your screws? I hear people say that they can. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't, but I don't know. I guess I don't pay attention to the weather. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, nice. it rained the other day and I'm like, I, man, I guess I didn't notice it, but I think so. we'll, see. we'll nice. see. I did go to an airport the other day and, I, and I, I'm like, oh, wait, they never gave me like a little card. I thought it was going to go off and I was going to get like pulled aside, but I don't know if it's like the, I don't know what it's made out of, but it didn't go off. Maybe it's like titanium and the titanium doesn't go off or something. I don't huh. know, but it didn't go or off. Or the metal detector was broken or anything like that. Yeah. So Who knows? I was pleasantly surprised with that too. So. Nice. Um, but no, I'm looking forward to getting all that hardware taken out and then I yeah. got to find something to do with it. We should survey the, the listeners on what John should do with his, his metal and uh, screws. Yeah. You got to keep that as a momentum for sure. Make a bracelet or something, make a bracelet yeah. or something. Something like that. Um, <laughs> well, we were catching up last time and there were some questions, follow-up questions that came up that we were going to hopefully talk about today and along the lines of negotiating your compensation and some of the arrangements with these employment contracts. And John is the man when it comes to employment contracts and compensation. Your company has all kinds of experience and expertise in analyzing compensation agreements and helping even like handholding through that whole process of like walking through the negotiation process because so we'll talk about it and you know, we can kind of teach you how to do these things yourself or, or you could even Google and learn these kinds of things. But a lot of times it's nice to just have, well, save time, but also have that reassurance of having a person along the way to help you handhold you kind of through that experience. And that's, that's what John's company yeah. does really well. And it's, it's a great service. Yeah, no, there's so much good stuff out there online and we put a lot of it out there for free, mm. but we believe that every story matters and the story of the, you know, you can look at something online for a clause, but it doesn't lead into the physician's story or their family story. So, you know, why is the position open? How many colleagues do you have? You know, what happens if a colleague takes off? What's the history of the program? How does your story about, I want to be there for one year and move or five years and retire or go part-time in two months or, mm. you know, have a child, like all those pieces of the story, right? They all play into how you should view some terms, whether it's negotiable or not. And that's one of the things that they get with a service like contract diagnostics is they get that personal approach that says, you know, this is how we can customize it to your story, not mm. just some generic, something that you read online, which, you know, we put out a lot of, but something how we can customize it back to the position. So we have a blast doing that here, as you know. Yeah. And the families we work with that utilize that service across the board have better experiences. I guess the worst case scenario is that people are like in a pretty good spot. Like I get this confirmation that I'm in a really good spot, but more often than not, it's yeah. more like improvement upon where they kind of envisioned things going or awareness of some like landmines that were out there. So it's a big deal to like your job is a big deal. And these physician employment agreements are complicated and, and there's a lot in there and it's a lot of foreign language and yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a big commitment. Income. It's it's your biggest asset. Your biggest asset is your earning potential as a physician, you know, and well, well aware on how a physician can protect themselves 
from, you know, with insurances and disability and life and investments in the future, but making sure that you're earning the appropriate amount of money, you know, mm. or the most amount of money that you can is hyper, hyper important. And that's what we do every single day. People always mm. look for you. Know, how do I, how do I save a couple bucks here on my taxes? Or how do I, you know, save a percent of uh, interest off my home purchase? But they're looking at like, I haven't had a raise in five years, or I right. don't even know if I'm paid fairly trying to save a thousand bucks on something and you're being paid underpaid for the grand a year or or more. So it's a super important thing to dig into, which is why we have fun here. So we get to yeah, talk yeah, to yeah. great people, smart people about very, very, very important things. Yeah. There's definitely lots to talk about. I think the good starting point is this whole, I think in, in, with physicians, there's a lot of turnover and a lot of burnout or whatever you want to call it. Like it, a lot of physicians that are unhappy mm -hmm. in their work. And so there's, you know, lots of desire to leave and but then sometimes you realize there's surprises with contracts like i don't know that everybody goes in eyes wide open on like what their contract limits them in terms of their ability to leave and what the obligations are and if they can open up or go work for another practice nearby or those sorts of things and they end up like getting the surprise on the back end when they're like six months in they bought the really nice house in the city that they grew up in and life is good, but work sucks. And they're like, I need to go work for the other yeah. place because this place is terrible. Like I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And then they go to read their, through their contract again. And they're like, crap, like I got nothing. I got no option. Exactly. I got to yeah. leave. Yeah. I got to move away in order or else I'm stuck here. So non-competes, you know, locking in, in people, bonuses that are tied to working a certain period of time. I think mm -hmm. that's our super important area of contracts that sometimes are overlooked. And then there's some changes brewing too on in the world of, well, not changes. There's some talk brewing around the non-compete world about yeah. potential changes we were kind of getting into before we started recording. So maybe we could start yeah. there. Like what's going on with no, the non-competes? I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, to kind of say, go back to what you said earlier, I mean, like, you know, burnout's real and there's lots of different recommendations coming out now by companies like MGMA with new survey data that just came out, which we have at Contract Diagnostics if anybody needs updated data sets. But there's all kinds of new talk about burnout, about retention rates, about, yeah, how do you keep a physician around? Because everyone knows to turn a physician over, it can cost, you know, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in everything. When you look at lost productivity and locums and recruiting and adding someone on and, you know, signing incentives and everything. So burnout and retention is super important to, and it's becoming more and more important to employers. And I think rightfully so. I think a physician, there's obviously things that they can keep an eye out for. So they don't do that because again, your earning, your earning ability, your income, your physician's salary is, is one of your biggest assets over, you know, 10, 20, 30 year career. Now, how that plays into your contract and what happens if you're burned out, what happens if you want to leave the termination provisions are vital. You have mm. to buy tail insurance. That could be a hundred thousand, you know, any 5,000 to $150,000 payment on termination that you may or may not have. And it's not easy to finance tail insurance because unlike your, your, your new boat, the bank can't go take your boat back with your malpractice insurance tail okay. purchase, right? So you can't, you can't just go back and get a pay for it in essence. So it could be a costly. And then how do you terminate? And then you have a non-compete, like you said, those are super important things. What are some example costs for tail? I, I can throw out some examples, but like you have a lot more experience. Like what's a typical like range of costs and for tail insurance? I know it's a big range. Yeah, it all depends on the type of the physician, right? And to some degree where they're practicing and to some degree their their history, right? So just like an automobile, mm -hmm. if you have a, you know, an older front wheel drive minivan, you know, that's worth a thousand dollars or $5,000 and 
doesn't go very fast. And what are you trying to say about front wheel drive minivans? <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm saying that insurance is cheap, so they're really <laughs> good purchases. But if you have a super fast red convertible sports car, mm. right, probably going to be a little more. If you get a lot of speeding tickets, so you've got a track record of speeding mm. tickets and driving recklessly and accidents, it's probably going to be a little more. Yeah. So just like with car insurance, it matters if you're a hospitalist seeing 15 patients a day, or if you're a high-risk OB physician mm. delivering babies every single day, or if you're a neurosurgeon poking around in someone's brain or spine, right? So yeah. those different... You know, so if, if if you're seeing a diabetic, you know, with with for their their glucose levels and prescribing diabetes medications all day, it's much different risk level than if you're sticking needles and yeah. scalpels and cutting people open. So, I would say it's safe to say it's like the average is in the tens of thousands. Would you agree? Like on yeah, average, yes. But so typical. So the way that any physician can do a rough calculation is, and again, the cost per year. So you you have to buy your malpractices just like if you you have to buy your car insurance every year. But then tail insurance is if and when you leave, you may or may not have to buy it. So a good way to kind of calculate that, if you don't know, is to find out how much your malpractice premium costs every year. So that's a question that you can call the broker who sold you the policy or you know your office manager, or you can call the HR department if, if you have one and say, how much does my malpractice insurance cost you every year if the physician's not the one buying it, which is the common way that the employer yeah. provides it. And then take that number and multiply it by 1.6 to 2.5. And it all depends on how long you're there. So if you're just there for a year, it's going to be on the lower end, 1.2, 1.4 times your premium. If you've been there for a five-year period, a, tail ins a malpractice insurance typically matures over five years. So just to use examples, it might cost a family practitioner 6,000 year one, 9,000 year two, 15,000 year three, 18,000 and year four, and then 20,000 in year five. And then it might just stay at 20,000, right? Or maybe I got it wrong. Maybe it's 6,000, 9,000, 11,000, 12,000, 15,000. And then it stays at 15,000. And so to tail out, you would generally take that 15,000 in the example and multiply it by two to 2.5. Yeah. So 15,000 means 30 grand, right? And that's a rough estimate on what you need to come to the table if you have to buy your tail insurance yeah. um, upon termination. And again, depending on the state, it might be different. Depending on where you're going, what's your employer you're going to, that may be something you can negotiate. That might vary. So again, the story matters. So doing an internet search on tail insurance costs might give you some really, really good information. I encourage everyone to do that. But finding out your story and how does it matter, for example, if you're in Kansas, staying in Kansas or Kansas moving to Missouri. But Kansas City sits in the, on the state line. So if you're a mile in in Missouri versus staying in Kansas, how does that impact your malpractice insurance? It does. People think mm -hmm. state income tax, state income tax, but there's also patient compensation funds in various states that matter as far as like how long you're there and how they cover tail and how they don't. And it's just a lot of nuance, no different than yeah. public uh, student loan forgiveness, right? And I have to be at this facility and work this many hours. And if I do that yeah. for so long then, but an asterisk and an asterisk. And so again, that's why it's good that there's folks out there that can help physicians through these times that maybe things aren't as cut and dry or black and white or binary, if you will, in a yeah. contract. I think the key takeaway with the tail insurance is like being aware of how it affects you if you were to leave on the front end. Like ideally, when you're going in, mm -hmm. you're aware of how that's going to, who's going to cover tail, first of all, Risk. whether it's your employer or you. Yeah. And second of all, if you're going to cover it, roughly what it's going to cost or some ballpark of what it's going to cost. Because 
if you're you end up in the burnout situation like i gotta leave like you need to know it's a because what i i have worked with people on multiple occasion it's just it is what it is you got a lot of stuff going on you kind of don't gloss over the tail and then you end up having to leave and it's a pretty big number and it's like we didn't have that in the picture and it just if it's 50 grand you're gonna owe to tail that's just another big factor in the mix yeah. non-competes yeah well it, it comes it comes down to risk and that's why and I think it's a good segue into the non-compete because when you're signing your contract, even if it's non-negotiable, right? They give you a contract and they say, here, don't even bother having anyone look at it because we're not going to change anything. It's non-negotiable. You still got to know your risk. You still got to have yeah. it looked at so you know what questions to ask. Because, you know, again, so risk, whether they'll negotiate anything or not, risk. Can you get out? How do you terminate? When can you? What about malpractice tail insurance? What about a non-compete? What about how you're compensated on termination? What about, you know, risk of things that aren't in the contract, like caps on call or PA coverage or, you know, uh, a certain resource or a technology that you might need, et cetera, et cetera. We could go on and on and on for hours. But portion of that risk, is, which is, again, should be done on the front end. People call us and they'll say, John, I signed a thing two years ago. Can you help me get out? And we're like, well, what do you have? And they're like, I don't know. Nope. I nobody looked at. It. I just signed. I'm like, oh crap. Oh, and no. if those are the ones that you got to break news, say like, look, it's going to cost sixty grand to get out of this. They go, I have sixty thousand dollars. So I say all that because the risk assessment, right? And anything, as you're an investment guy, anything is risk and reward, right? I'm going to risk having less money today for the reward of having more money tomorrow. I'm going to risk losing my money in my 401k or in my directed plan from a professional like you guys, um, I'm going to risk that might go down for the benefit of it might go up. And hopefully I hire good people like, like Ren Financial and I, I could you know have more benefit than risk. It's yeah. the same thing with contracts. What's the risk, right? Well, termination, non-compete, tail insurance, yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's the benefit? Well, it's about money. It's about benefits, like vacation time. It's about you know retirement mm -hmm. accounts. It's about you know income and bonuses. But if we go back to that risk piece, that non-compete is a big portion of the risk. And it's vital that a physician understands not just the non-compete, but the restrictive covenant. So the restrictive covenant would be, you know, what you can't do either during or after the job, most likely both. So a restriction could be you can't work, you know, you can't moonlight while you work here, or you can't own a pizza company while you work here unless you get our permission, depending on how the contract's worded. Another restriction would be you can't hire one of our employees or contractors after you work here. Another restriction would be you can't solicit the patients. They're ours, not yours. So if you leave, you can't take the patients with you. You don't own the patient. Those are all types of restrictive covenants that are not non-competes. Now, you may also have a non-compete, and non-competes would say for this, they're time-bound, right? So for so many months or so many years, they're geographically bound. You can't do something in a certain area, whether it's a certain mm -hmm. number of counties or a certain radius, you know, and then obviously the more specific, the better. It's specific to your specialty or not. How detailed is it to your specialty? Is it, you know, what's the time zones? And I think that's all super important for a physician to understand the non-compete because we see them in most contracts and even the states that don't have contracts, we don't see, I know there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the FTC and, you know, President Biden, you know, before Trump and like what they wanted to do with non-competes and maybe Biden can pound a gavel or wave a pen and everything goes away. And we, I didn't think that was going to happen when he announced it. I was, of course, cheering for it because I think it's good for our physicians, but I didn't think it was going to go through. We don't really have a whole lot of new data yet. I don't know that we're going to with the pending election and all the stuff yeah. that's going to come out. It might be a talking point for some of the candidates, but as far as like, you know, President Biden waving a wand and magically you know, dissolving every non-compete for every worker in the country, 
I just don't think it's going to happen. And I think even if there is some federal regulation, I think there's going to be some different state changes and asterisks and everything else. I know one of the proposals was, okay, we'll do it with non-competes, but non-profit institutions can have them. And you and I both know lots of hospitals that tend to be nonprofit, or they might just be, you know, exempt, right? So, you know, a non-exempt employee would be under that rule. So maybe no non-competes for somebody who works at Starbucks or somebody who works at Home Depot versus Lowe's or something, right? Because they get paid hourly and they're a, they're an exempt person. For a physician, wouldn't be a physician. They they don't get fifteen minute breaks every four hours of work. They don't. They're not entitled to an hour long lunch break. So they're, a, they're exempt from some of those regulations, laws, rules. And so therefore, I'm assuming that there would be an asterisk for some of those employees, which would be mm. physician, or maybe it's people who earn over a certain dollar amount per year or have compensations. So the initial dollar amounts that I've seen, it would yield all physicians out of whatever carve out they would do, except maybe a part-time pediatrician. And then, you know, how does that impact nurse practitioners and PAs? Because, you know, they, they make less, but they're starting to make a whole lot more. It's so interesting and to, to kind of figure out what's, try to project what's going to happen. Yeah, who But knows? at the end of the day, nobody knows. And I think even if something does go through, it's going to be superficial for somebody to get some good press on it. And then I think it's not really going to roll down to physicians. And if it does, I think that would be a good thing because I think the physicians who, you know, are dedicated to a community because of, a family or because the kids are in school or mm. or some reason, then they don't want to leave the community, but they want to leave the employer. And there's an option they just quote can't. I think that would be a, a great option for them. Again, as you de-risk any agreement, right? So if that non-compete represents 10% of your risk or 20% of your risk in a deal and you just oof, take it out, that's great. Your benefit to risk ratio dramatically improves just by yeah. that. But will it automatically increase salaries? Are physician salaries suppressed because of non-competes? A lot of people say yes. I don't know. You know, the new MGMA data is just out and we've been analyzing it for, for weeks over here. And I do know that Massachusetts is one of the lowest paying states when it comes to specialty and primary care pay. And yet Massachusetts hasn't had non-competes in decades. Mm. And I look at the states that are paid the best and there are states where non-competes are very active. So again, if a physician could just leave one job to go to the next because of a $2 per RVU difference, I think if they could do that, which they have been able to do that in certain markets, that realize there's lots of other stuff going on from, from payer data and access and market demands and everything else. But we don't see salaries flushing up in states faster without. than others anyways, or even in the highest paid state, in states without non-compete. So how would it directly impact physician compensation? I don't think for the, for the masses, I think the answer is it doesn't. For mm -hmm. that highly, highly trained surgeon, I think the answer is it might. For that super productive pulmonologist, I think the answer is it might. Because they could go back and say, look, if I can't get three bucks more per RVU, the hospital next door will give it to me. Um, right. Now, again, they're so, can you solicit the patients? Maybe not. You know, so again, just because there's not a non-compete doesn't mean there's not a non-solicitation. And your patients may or may not follow and you may or may not continue to generate 12,000 RVUs a year. So there's so many, like, we don't know. But non-competes are pretty strict and solid and non-solicit is kind of a little bit, I'm using simple terms. It's much more complicated, but like non-solicit yeah. is a little bit more dialed down version. It's less restrictive, but you still can't go after your patients. Non-compete is like, nah, nothing in this area. Yeah. Like you can't do anything. Yeah. So that's the, and they're pretty common, like the non-compete. So that's important. I think the takeaway with non-competes is that everybody should know like what their non-compete limits them to and ahead of time before they even sign. Because if you're going mm -hmm. to an area 
especially if you're like going to an area. Well, I, I mean, I think anytime, but like if you're in an area like I grew up here or my family or whatever, it's mm -hmm. especially important. And I have known many, worked with many people that basically kind of like had to leave an area because a job didn't work out. And that's like kind of not fair. I mean, it's like your job dictating. Or do love comes for a year. Yeah. I'm, or had mm -hmm. to go away and come back, which is a, just a mess. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Ren Financial Planning. Want to hear something cool? My team at Ren Financial Planning has consistently told me that the listeners of this podcast are their favorite people to talk to. Did you know that you can set up a no-cost triage meeting with one of our amazing CFPs at Ren Financial Planning anytime and talk about your biggest financial questions? We can discuss things like considerations for transitioning into practice, getting the best bang for your buck buying a house, the smartest way to pay off student debt, or tips on maximizing your compensation package. Or maybe you'd love a second set of eyes to help look over your tax return or investment allocations. Maybe you'd just like a general second opinion from your existing advisor. Either way, our role in this meeting will be to listen to your concerns and help you start to identify potential actionable next steps so that you can start to make solid progress addressing those concerns as quickly as possible. Schedule a meeting now. You'll see a link in the show notes. And when you do, make sure to indicate you found us from Finance for Physicians. We look forward to talking to you. Okay, let's get back to our show. How willing are employers to budge on these non-competes in your experience? Yeah, that's a great question, man. And I think it depends on the situation, right? I think, again, why is the contract terminating in the first place? Is the service line just not busy? So you're not making as much money as you'd like, so you'd like to do something else? They might be fine letting you go and mm. forgiving the non-compete because they're not doing what the, the program's not doing what they thought it would is the reason that you know you would like to stay in time because they don't have the technology well that might be different do you want to open your own practice Compete so would you stay on at the hospital and well, yeah but i mean again there are some contracts have carve outs for private practices um so they'll say you can't work within 25 miles of my hospital. However, if you want to stay on staff at my hospital and open a private practice, you're more than welcome to, hmm. right? And again, it depends on the specialty, but if you're going to stay on staff at my hospital and admit your patients to my hospital, or if you're a surgeon, you'll do your cases at my hospital and you're going to open a private practice and run your private practice like you want to, which means I don't have to pay for your malpractice insurance. I don't have to pay for your staff. And I don't have to put you on my EMR system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The hospital's like, I'll take that every day. So for the most part, again, every story matters, which is why it's important to call somebody like contract diagnostics. But hmm. that's where I think, you know, when it comes to, even if you want to get out of a contract, like, you know, you said, like, read your contract. No, no, no. Like, read your contract, but call Before. us or call somebody like us and say, here's my story. Here's what the contract says. What do you recommend? Because mm. we might be able to get very creative with ideas and strategies and tactics around helping a physician transition from one position to the next or leave a position and, and ask for forgiveness around the restrictive covenant or the non-compete. Mm -hmm. So that creativity that we've learned over 12 years on what's possible, I think, is something that, that we love sharing with everybody. And that's why whatever the situation is, a physician should definitely seek help and ideas because maybe you read it, you're just, you think it's so solid, it's so concrete, you can't work for 25 miles. Mm. But maybe it says you can't do a certain portion of your job, or maybe it says you can't be a hospitalist, but you can go be an internist, or maybe 
you know, um, and again, telehealth has kind of blown a lot of other things up too. So um, yeah. is it, how does it deal with telehealth? I mean, so there's so many things that matter when it comes to restrictive covenants that it's not just no, most of the time, it's not as simple as 25 mile non-compete from the office at on Fifth Street. And it's much, much more complicated than that. Even if it appears to be simple, they're generally, you know, a half a page to four pages long in a contract, even though on the surface, you might think it says you can't practice for a year within 25 miles but it takes them four pages to write. That means there's a lot more to the story. Mm-hmm. And then a lot more creativity can come can come on the backside of it when, when we're helping a physician come up with creative solutions to a, a situation that they're not happy in and they're looking for a transition. Yeah, and another thing that I would be cautious about with contracts related to contracts that can cause big old problems if you're leaving unexpectedly is the front-end bonuses, like the forgivable uh-huh. loans, yeah. they call them. But they're, they're, they frame it as a bonus, but it's really a forgivable loan based on saying a certain period of time. And those can be big surprises. They can also be big surprises tax wise. Even if you do stay a lot of times, that's not quite clarified. And all of a sudden you have a tax surprise, but understanding what those terms are uh, preferably. So like, I mean, like in a perfect, simple world, which is never the case, but like, ideally your employer covers your tail insurance. Ideally there's no non-compete and ideally like the bonus yeah. is just your bonus and it's not tied to any level of service that never happens. Right. It's always going to have yeah. baggage attached. Like they don't just typically, I mean, like it's typically got some baggage yeah. attached if they're going to write you a big check. Yeah. And sometimes they're long yeah. commitments. Like right. I've seen like five year. Yeah. It's all risk and reward. Right. Yeah. The risk is you might have to give us money back if you quit in one year, five years, three years, whatever. The reward is we're going to give you money right now. 20,000 yep. bucks, put down a house or to buy a vacation or to give to charity or whatever you like to do. With your the spot. problem with the job, especially a new job, is you're basing it off an unknown. Like, and the unknown is like, am I going to hate my job? Am I going to love my job? Am I going to be somewhere in the middle? And yeah. if you hate your job, in my opinion, it doesn't matter how much money you pay me. It's not worth it. Like, it's not worth it because you spend so much time in the job. The majority of your time living (laughs) is your job. And if you're going to spend tons and tons of hours in a job that you hate, it doesn't matter how much money we're talking, it ain't worth it. So, like, you have to be careful when you're going into an unknown, especially you know, brand new. I'm thinking people starting in practice for the first time or transitioning to a new location or whatever like you're going to a brand new employer you don't know what their culture is even though everybody's going to tell you these things like we're great and everybody's happy but like you don't even know until you get in there and things can change always and these really long you know especially the long ones like like i've seen like five-year commitment period on or like a big bonus big old bonus on the front end five-year commitment period that can be like paralyzing like just and it amp it amps up all this burnout stuff too it's like if you're unhappy six months in and then you realize you've used that bonus to buy a house and real estate's been and stagnant. interest and interest is accruing and interest is accruing and interest is accruing. Right. it's like i got no choice yeah. but to like grind it out yeah yeah now and that, again there's ways that you can be creative with those types of things you know if mm-hmm. someone's offering you a hundred grand for a five-year commitment you could say guys i'm willing to do a two-year commitment and for that i'd like forty thousand dollars but then i'd like retention payments of twenty thousand dollars after year two and after year three and after year four or at the beginning mm-hmm. of year three and the beginning of year four and the beginning of year five knowing that they may want you can and you can tie each of those to a one-year repayment that way maybe at the end of two and a half years, you know, you've received $60,000, but you only have to give back 10,000, you yep. know, much more palatable, much depending on taxes in the state and 
you know, your income and how you take it, everything else, much different tax situation, having a hundred grand upfront tax and then accruing interest for five years that you may or may have to give back at the full rate plus interest, even after you pay taxes on it. So lots of interesting ways that you can approach a situation like that. And that's just one of them. So, but again, like it's, 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 that may be proposed on the surface, but there might be some creative solutions to not, not saying I want 120,000 or I want the hundred thousand forgiven over three years, but I, I want the hundred thousand over five, which is all, which is, you said it's non-negotiable. I'm taking the hundred over five. I'm just cutting up how I receive it. And it right. may be negotiable. And that much more psychologically like tolerable, I guess, like it's really difficult to get a hundred thousand yeah. dollars and psychologically like not forget that you have to pay it back and you leave. It's just... Because you're going to tell yourself, yeah. like, I'm good. It's going to work out. Like, everything's going to be fine. That's just what people do. They justify their thing, what's going yeah. on. And so, and we can't, yeah, and we can't predict the future. No, you know, so that's what's tough. That's what's tough. Yeah. What do you think about in training stipends? Again, I hate to say it depends, but it depends. It's dependent on the situation, right? If a physician who wants to go back to rural Kansas, where their family is, where they grew up, and they want to serve the community there for 20 years, and they're offering a stipend to sign now, and when you know you're going to sign anyways, I think that's a good idea. But again, I think it's also it's the risk and the reward, right? So again, I every story of the physician matters, and that risk and reward for each individual physician may be a little bit different, which means it may not make sense for everybody. But in general, I think that they're a good idea. I think they're smart by the hiring entity to get their physicians locked in. You and I have both seen and talked about the su supply demand shortage in physicians, and the, you know the, how much, how many more physicians you know we need. I just I just did a negotiation deal this morning for a urologist. At the hospital's trying to hire five of them. And, you know, I told the hospital, like, you're offering a signing bonus that's really not competitive and you need five. With all due respect, you're not going to, you're not going to get any if you don't make this package more in line with what your the competition is offering, right? And how did they respond to that? Oh, we'll, we'll see. And they, yeah, we're unsure yet on the app. But again, they, you know, but all those things matter. And I think because of, of an employer knowing, look, we need more but urologist or more fill in the blank, and we're going to need them over the next five years. There's nothing wrong with them signing a 2026 candidate, which we've mm -hmm. seen. We've seen 2026 contracts come through already. So if this is starting a contract, starting practicing as an attending in 2026, they're already signed. Yeah. So, but again, I thought it made sense for that position. If a hundred people gave us 2026 deals this week, I would, I would think something sounds weird because I don't know if that would make sense for a hundred people all at the same time, because it's a unique story. But yeah. I do like the bonuses. And I do think, again, depending on the situation, maybe you've got three kids. Maybe you need some extra money. Maybe you don't want to rack up credit card debt. Maybe you want to give more to charity or you want to start your retirement savings early or start paying down your student loan. There's so many things that that additional money, typically 1000 to 2000 we've seen up to 3000 or more per month, every single month of extra money. So you know what a resident and a fellow makes and you add two or three grand on top of that every single month, the significant mm -hmm. change to the way that they can live, especially if they have a family and financial needs. Yep. Now it is, like you said, it's a risk and play there. So you got to consider the fact that it could blow up on you, you know, like the employer could become a mess or your family could move and you're moving there for that reason. And then all of a sudden you're like, the hospital stuck. could sell on the new, yeah, yeah. the hospital could sell out and the new owner is mm -hmm. a jerk. And you, you know, the, yeah. the medical director that you thought you were going to work for leaves and you don't like the new person. And, I mean, 
Yeah, so a lot can happen. I mean, you're a surgeon and you expect it to be one in four call and it now becomes one in two call. There's so much stuff that could happen that's just out of mm -hmm. your control. Yeah, I would generally advocate for flexibility and not, you know, locking in because there's all already, it seems like, especially for physicians in the career track, it's almost like everything leads them to be more locked in. It's like, like it starts the day that you start mm -hmm. medical school when you get your first student loan check. That's already like a first stage lock-in, you know, because you now have a debt that you got to pay back. It's tied to, you got to make a living to pay that back and medical school is necessary to get there. So, and then you get into training and then you get into practice and you start signing contracts and bonuses and it's all trying, you know, a lot of times it's lock kind of locking you down hard. And I think you got to advocate mm -hmm. for some flexibility because life doesn't work out, like you said. And, yeah. and with PSLF, that's another thing, man, that, that I have yeah. a lot of unhappy families that we've worked with that were kind of like doing the thing because of PSLF. And uh -huh. ideally though, you, you're in a position where you can do things based on what's best for, like you said, your story and not based on the money. Like the money comes secondary, mm -hmm. not to say like, don't be doing yeah. dumb things with your money, but like your story first, like live your ideal life, then do all the money stuff, the contract stuff around that. That's the key. And that's, I think really what I love what you're saying is about your story. It's like, you got to remember to put yeah. that front and center about like, what do you want your life to look like? What's most important to you? And then shape all the stuff around it. And that's what you guys do. And yeah. you can kind of like tailor it, right? Yeah. And that's why again, I think, you know, you, I think there's so much really good information out there. There's so many great books that are written on physician contracts, you know, and now we have chat GPT and all that stuff, oh, yeah, which yeah. we've got a really cool video on that. If you haven't seen my video on chat GPT, it's on that. So. They can do contract reviews for you for free, right? Isn't that what it wasn't that your conclusion is chat GPT replaces you? They can't No, they, <laughs> yeah, they can do it for free and it'll know, be wrong. Right? It was the conclusion, right. which is hilarious. Like, <laughs> I mean. And again, I encourage anybody to look up the video that we did. I think it's on like social media and YouTube and that stuff. Yeah, but, I'll link to it. I mean, literally, you ask a chat GPT, you put, you, know, you take all, all the private information, of course, and you put the contract in there and you say, hey, give me five red flags. And it, it's all wrong. And they say, well, do I have malpractice insurance? There's no mention of malpractice insurance, even though section five says malpractice insurance, right? Mm -hmm. And then you say, and then you say, well, how much am I going to get paid? And it says there's no mention of compensation, but exhibit A says they get paid 40 bucks in our view. And then you ask ChatGPT, well, what should I make? They say, compensation, it's so difficult to negotiate. We don't even know. And they say, well, who do I negotiate with? And they say, we don't know. Maybe the CEO, it could be somebody else, but we don't know. And you're like, yeah. oh my gosh. You know? Come on, so ChatGPT. I you're encourage supposed to anyone to play around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I encourage anyone. And we believe me, we're building our own tools here at Contract Diagnostics that are going to supercharge and help the physicians go through our system. But I'll tell you, there's lots of really good stuff online, but just like I can go to WebMD and I can look up our rash, right? But nothing's gonna replace the judgment of a trained professional. And that 12 years of trial and error that we've had in figuring out what, what works with employers and how to negotiate and what's the right question to ask, all that stuff is something that's not done when you can mm. find that online, you know? Because again, every story matters. So that's what we love working with physicians. It's our passion. And, uh, and it, we have a, it's why we have a free consult on our website. Mm -hmm. Anyone can go to contractdiagnostics.com and set up a 15 minute free consult and just talk to us for free and tell us your story. We love to hear. Yeah. 
I think that's great. And you have a couple of different service models to where you can do kind of a more full service handholding through the negotiation process. And yeah. then more of just like a less intensive review of compensation. Yeah, a few hundred bucks. Just look, we're just going to mm. send you some compensation data and talk to you about how you're getting paid. And if it's appropriate or not, and give you some ideas and strategies for a few hundred bucks. Or, you know, a more expensive package where we go through your contract and we call the employer and we create pages of notes and we, you know, we do the help, we help you do the process so you can focus on what the physician's good at, which is providing care to their patients and then they can be with their family in their spare time. So yeah, and everything in between, of course. But if anybody's listening and you've had, um, if you're in practice and it's been a really long time since you've looked at anything and especially if you have some suspicion of like, maybe you're being underpaid or like, maybe there's some I would say like three years, three years is every three or years. longer. I would say every two, so if, or two or three years. So if you've been sitting on your contract for five years and just chilling and you've heard some gossip about other people getting paid more, like whatever it is, mm -hmm. if you just, maybe just, if you've just not even looked at anything in five years, like that's where at minimum something like that compensation RX would be like a good starting point to at least kind of like test the waters on where you're at it's no different than you you know you check your cholesterol because you don't you know like you had it checked a while back and it was low or it was high but you do it you still do it every year every other year yeah. because you want to get ahead of it if it needs attention you want to be ahead of a heart attack and right? the worst thing it says and, is like you're doing pretty good you know you're solid yeah. um yeah i guarantee the worst thing is yeah odds are super high that y'all are gonna have like stuff to there's always things to improve, but. Well, I would say, think of the employers. Empl we generally think employers need well for physicians and, you know, they don't want to burn them out. And even though some of the physicians that we work with disagree with us on that, but we generally think the employers want the physicians to succeed and be happy and work there for a long time and do everything they can to accomplish that. However, their job is to maximize revenue and minimize expenses. Physician salaries are expenses. Right. So, you know, they want their bonus. And their bonus is based on top line growth, right? Profits. And obviously the way to get that is to work your positions more and pay them less. So the interest of the administration is to obviously, I would assume keep great talent and keep them happy and everything else, but squeeze it as much as they can so they can yeah. maximize their, their bonus. And again, which is fine, right? That America, healthcare, capitalism, it, it is what it is, like it or not. However, I would say that just like you check your cholesterol or you get your oil change in your car to avoid a catastrophic, uh-oh, you should call contract diagnostics and look at your compensation data, but not just go to doxymetry and say, what does a family practice doctor make in Chicago? Okay, that's, that doesn't take into account your story. So again, because your story matters, that's where we give you the data and we do a 30 minute call with you so we can hear your story and then we can customize an approach. Because I can give you a number all day, right? You should have a total cholesterol under 200 and LDLs of set. Okay, but it doesn't take into account do I have family history. Does, what about if my HDL is 120? Does that matter? What if I'm on a ketogenic diet or a vegan diet? What if I'm a smoker or I don't smoke? What if I exercise or I don't exercise, right? What if I'm a male or a female? So all those things, you start putting that in there. And then all of a sudden, 70 starts looking or 170 starts looking better or worse, right? So the story of the patient matters. No different than the story of the physician matters when it comes to compensation, understanding it, negotiating it, and everything in between, which is why we're here, of course. Yep. I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing. So keep up the good work and always good to have a conversation about contracts. I mean, at the end of the day, contract itself is kind of boring and legalese, but like, it's really important have to have, no, I mean, we, we make fun. the best of it, but at the end of the day, it's like, what pays the bills? It's like, that's the gasoline to the engine. I mean, that drives the yeah. ship. And so it's important to pay attention to what, what your compensation 
looks like and how all that's structured. So, yeah. John, I appreciate and, you, you know, coming I on love, as always. I love the deal. Absolutely, man. Anything we can do to help your guys, your gals, just you know, reach out. If they have a question for me, ping you. I'm sure they know your email address. And yeah, we, yeah. Keep you the questions coming. Answer any questions at any time. Yeah, keep the questions coming. If y'all have particular areas you want to dig into, um, we'll keep keep the conversation going, and it'll be fun. You've been listening to Finance for Physicians. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast player. On this show, we believe that when you prioritize your finances, you take better care of yourself, have more fulfilling relationships with your families, and most importantly, provide higher quality care for your patients. If you feel this way too and want to learn more, then make sure to join our community. Follow the Finance for Physicians Facebook group for bonus content and sneak peeks on next week's episode. Thanks for listening.